In London, technology is the Silicon Roundabout. Introducing a new talk show dedicated to the people of the London technology startup scene. Silicon Real. Each week, interviewing entrepreneurs, venture capitalists, financial technology, accelerators, and incubators in an exciting three-person format. Learn about the people behind the innovation. Locally filmed, locally sourced. Silicon Real. It's about the people. This is Silicon Real, the weekly talk show dedicated to the people of the London technology startup scene. I am Brian Rose. I host London Real. It's the same studio, but it's kind of non-techie. Uh, this week, we have uh, the guys from Vice Media on, Matt Alec, uh, who you introduced me Fellow to. Fellow Canadian? Yeah. Those guys are really killing it. He talks about everything Vice. He talks about one of the reporters going missing in Ukraine and like everything they're doing. Billion-dollar rumor acquisitions from... Yeah. Did uh, he talk about that much? Uh, he couldn't really. He was uh, like, don't ask me about that. I asked him, but you know, he, he demurred. Yeah. But it's like Murdoch wants to buy him and yeah, Time yeah, Warner. Yeah. And anyways. Who's, so, the, who's the founder of that again? What's his name? Of, uh, oh, Shane Smith. Shane Smith. Yeah, 40-something yeah, yeah, yeah. year old. Started yeah. off as in Montreal, Montreal actually. Yeah. 94 is a yeah. punk magazine. It's so, a dude. It's yeah, he's a dude. Empire, what he's done. Yeah. He's yeah, it's, Think about that. It's billion dollars. Do you do company. anything with Vice? No. No, it's, it's really hard to get your head around, and they produce so much content if yeah. you go on there. They have hundreds of staff in Brooklyn. They're killing it. They are killing it. I mean, in a way where you get people like Murdoch wanting to buy it, mm. but then Vice is openly against publications like right. The Sun and Fox News and things like that. So, yeah, yeah it's a whole weird little You know, WPP has a stake in it. Yeah, they have a small stake, right? Yeah. Like yeah. 5% or something. Yeah, yeah. again, yeah. 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 Maybe, yeah, maybe Vice doesn't want people to know that. No, they're pretty open <laughs> about it. So anyways, that's at London Real. Check that out at LondonReal.tv. But today, uh, today we're here to talk tech. Uh, my co-host is Colin Pyle, uh, running a gourmet uh, coffee company, subscription-based services. Crew Cafe, you're in Italy. What's going on? I, so, somebody made a comment on the last video that, that said every time you said, I'm going to Italy to I'm make a new to... blend. Well, it's <laughs> fucking hard work making new blends, right? So right. I just got back from Italy late last night, so I'm no longer going. Um, yeah, things, things are good, man. A couple new blends literally coming off the shelf. So they closed down. They, August 2nd to the 24th. It's like factory close. <laughs> so we got to oh, yeah. really get our... Second, the whole month. The whole month, pretty yes. much. So we're getting our orders in for our new blends. Should be ready. End of July, arrive in London, and uh, yeah, away we go, man. It's busy, busy, and what, busy. And what makes up, like, what do you, what do you do, and what do you say, oh yeah, that's the blend? <laughs> yeah, it's, what we're really trying to do is not anything special. We're trying to take what's happening in shortage with the great coffee shops and just put it in a capsule. So a lot of it's, wow. so a lot of it's taking what Red Brick's doing, what Workshop's doing, and trying to match the, the taste profiles and trying to see if we can replicate it through an espresso capsule. Nice. So, so that's what a lot of it is trying to taste and it's trying to match the strengths and, and make sure you sort of, that's a great marketing message. Yeah, you just came up with there too. There so yeah, nice. All right, cool. Shortage in a capsule. All right, enough about coffee. <laughs> I hear about coffee every week. So, right. um, uh, let's get on with the show. Our guest is Mr. Damian Kimmelman, who is the founder and CEO of do dill, uh, which organizes private company information into a real time decision intelligence tool. How's that? It's good. Pretty good, huh? Um, you got big companies that use your product like uh, McKinsey, KPMG, Dell, uh, the Home Office, and uh, Stripe. We had uh, one of their founders, John Collison, on last year. Um, great company. You guys just raised either 17 million or 17 million pounds, dollars. I'm not sure. In ser- it's series, dollars, but, but it's we've dollars. actually raised about 22 million in the last uh, year. 
Okay. All right. $20 million dollars. in the last year. Okay. Um, uh, Sounds the, bigger in dollars. Yeah. Sounds even bigger in Canadian dollars. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> That's a lot of loonies and toonies. <laughs> the, uh, the Financial Times called you guys the Bloomberg of private companies. I was trying to think about that earlier, and then I realized, isn't Bloomberg a private company? But we will talk about that. Uh, you just won the International Entrepreneur of the Year Award from Tech City News. Uh, congratulations. Thank you. Uh, you had That's a lot great. of competition. I mean, or the other awards winners were like, 20 people that have been on the show sat in that very seat. Guys like Hussein Kanji, Sherry Kotu, Easy Vidra, uh, Tavit, Hankress from TransferWise. I mean, it was like a who's who on the stage that yeah, night. I shouldn't have won. I, you know, but, but she <laughs> I think did. Somebody, I think somebody paid. I didn't pay them, but I'm sure... M- I'm money sure ex- that was rigged. Money exchanged hands. Um, Damien, uh, thanks for being here. Welcome to Silicon Real. Thank you. Thank you for having you me. You know, I remember that term, do dill, from my old days in the banking world. Right. I'm sure you know it. And, it, and the guys in M&A, I was always in trading, and my M&A guys would always just use the do deal. They'd be like, they would always use it as Wall Street guys did in a non-Wall Street term. Like, you're about to get married. They'd be like, did you do the do deal on her? Right. And it was always like, you're about to do a deal, and then you need to do the due diligence, as in run through all the numbers. And it was never considered a, necessarily a sexy thing to do, because the analysts would kind of do it. But it was the way you found out if the deal was really worth doing, or if you were just going to buy a dream or something you weren't being told. And I was wondering, you know, if you look at your business model, it seems like so many great companies, so simple, and yet it's such a big game changer. And like you guys are getting awards for good reasons. When did due deal and data like this become so hot and become so sexy and so important? Well, I think that there are a a number of ways of explaining it, but, um, I think the easiest way to explain it, and both of you worked in public markets, um, well, if you look at the bid-to-ask spread, so the difference between somebody, what I want to sell uh, versus what somebody wants to buy, that's dropped down to next to zero, which means that all these algorithmic trades are creating so much liquidity uh, in the market, there's so much. Their algorithms producing news, and their algorithms reading the news, and 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 um, making taking actions on top of the news, and that's dropped. You know, the 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 bid ask spread next to zero. And that means that there's so much information. There's no information. If information is surprise, you know, if information is the difference between the ones and the zero, the mm-hmm. context. um, that means that you have to go to to other markets to find the excitement, right? To find the opportunity. Um, And um, when you look at private markets, private markets uh, in Europe alone, there's a 250 billion euro shortfall in SME lending. There's a 450 billion euro misallocation of finance to private companies. These are, are indicators that there's a huge amount of disorder in the information. And, you know, it wasn't that long ago that, private company, that public companies acted like private ones. You know, public companies only um, uh, present uh, their financials four times a year, right? Mm. It's not, the rest is speculation, mm. um, um, yeah, or n- news from the company. Um, but um, that's going to change. You know, ninety nine percent, ninety nine point eight percent of businesses are private. They make up fifty plus percent of GDP across any first world economy. And if you look at those stats, 
then you realize the amount of opportunity is really, you know, people say the, you know, we're going to be, you know, that the economy is going to change because of the, you know, small to medium sized businesses. Well, that's why, right? The opportunity is with the small to medium sized businesses. Um, you know, there's been a huge trend of, of private companies acting like public ones and, um, you know, with with the likes of Angel List and Cedars or, you know, Funding Circle and what have you, just as there's a huge trend of, of you know, for the last sort of 10 years of individuals acting like companies. And that's just organizing the disorder of information. So the eBay's, the Stripe, the, 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 uh, the eBay's, the, the squares of the world, you know, that's the, the people acting like companies. Um, and then you have the funding circles, the angelists and ourselves, um, the private companies acting more like public ones. When you meet someone and you pitch them on, on what you guys can provide to them as a service, is there a place you start? I mean, a lot of people probably see do dill and they're like, I don't even know what that means. I don't know how it could you know, affect my business. Is there something simple you hit them with right away as in this is what we can do right now? So we ask them what their problems are. Um, because the, the data can be useful for a number of, uh, of, of um, problems. And I think what separates us from our competition and what we like to, to show is that we, you know, we're concerned about the company's problems and a lot of the incumbents um, you know, don't take phone calls, they don't listen to, um, to their customers and most people that we speak to, I think, to be fair, you know, our product um, you know, still has a lot of work to do. We still have a lot of um, stuff that we need to, to, to build out. But one of the things that people keep on coming back to us and saying is you guys really listen and take feedback, whereas nobody else will you know, listen to us. It, it falls on deaf ears. You made a good comparison. Like if you look up someone that you want to hire, pretty much these days you can go to LinkedIn or they have to provide you with a CV with you know, 10, 20 years of their history and where they went to school and everything. But if you go to a private company, you know, say you're doing business with a private company that's going to have receivables or you're going to have to trust them to a certain way for reputation reasons or cash flow reasons, and you come up with very little, right? Very little. Especially yeah. before you guys came along. Yeah. Especially available electronically, I'm yeah. guessing. Even now, you know, even now, you think the access of information with Google and the great search engines it's still really hard to find out information of a private company. And isn't it crazy? And, and you know, what I, you know, um, ten years ago, LinkedIn did this thing where they um, allowed people to put up their CVs online, and uh, everybody was like, "I don't want to put my CV up online," but people started to realize that by putting their CVs up online, you'd be found for a job instead of having to find a job. And that flips the whole dynamic. Um, And with companies, people have often conflated this notion of, of a private company means privacy. And that's wrong. Private means um, limited liability. Private means limit, um, privately held, not publicly held. It doesn't mean privacy. That's a that's a that's an incorrect conflation. You know, limited liability um, is probably the biggest wealth creation invention of all time. 
Right. Um, it's created Silicon Valley. It's created, you know, the the, the ships that went to to sail the seas um, to uh, the Spice Islands. And it's it's this concession by society for the common good. It says, you can screw up. You can fuck up, and we're not going to put you in jail. Um, and that's amazing, right? That means people can take audacious um, uh, risks. Um, uh, they can, you know, uh, put all this, you know, information up online and give it away for free. And, you know, <clears throat> um, and um, the... the, the, the thing that is dangerous is that because of the word private has been conflated with privacy um, you have the, the creation of um, uh, uh, anonymously owned companies that can intimidate um, you know um, uh, competitors can manipulate tenders and when the going gets tough completely disappear um, and that's really uh, um, uh, harmful um, to society, and this is a this is a concession given by society for the common good. And I'm not saying that companies need to open up all of their information. That's wrong. Um, but understanding who owns a company, and you know, uh, and who that is, um, is very very important. Do you look at yourself as more of an information company than, say, a fintech company? We look at ourselves as a technology company. You do? Okay. Yeah. Because you're just providing information out there. The fact that it's financial information is... So, um, you know, uh, the way I... So we're, we're a predominantly technology-based company. Um, the reason why I don't think that we're a business information company is because, um, you know, we come from a tech background. We're trying to fix a problem in the market with technology, um, not, you know, the other way around. Um, and, uh, I think, um, you know, being, a, a, an information provider is really missing out on, um, the opportunity. You know, data isn't as valuable as information and to create information from data, you have to create context, the ones and the zeros, right? right. Um, and data is not the new oil. That's like, have you ever heard that? No. People say, no. Pe- some people say like data. Run, running in the wrong circles. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Is that you're, like, run, you're, you're running with the not cool kids, right? Yeah. <laughs> the vice guys. Yeah. So that, so um, that, that goes along with big, big data. It's not about the data in your opinion. It's the no, information. But it's, it's, it's the information. So data is not the, so some people say data is the new oil. I don't know any commodity that grows exponentially every single day, right? <laughs> I don't. Yeah, I don't. Yeah. So just on that level, it's just incorrect. It would have no value anymore, a commodity yeah, like that. Yeah, and when everything that consumes electricity at some point will be connected to the internet and will be a data provider, um, you have a, a huge amount of data. You have data glut. Um, and what happens is you really need to to look for the information and the insight from the data. And the way that you get that is through context, through collaboration, so speculation, uh, and through analytical algorithms. Um, and um, the, 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 the biggest value in data is in, insights that lead to actions. 
and the actions that are attributable back to the data. Can you give and, us an example of, of some data that you guys might get a hold of and then the information you would provide a, a client? Certainly. So, um, and I want to caveat this by saying the last three and a half years, what we've been um, working on is building the infrastructure so that you can uh, uh, process huge amounts of data and that you can um, uh, model it in really um, exciting ways. So we've been building the infrastructure to do the kinds of things that you want to do. But um, the kinds of things that customers can do right now um, is they can find all of the companies in um, northwest London that have a debt-to-equity ratio of X that are in whatever industry you want. Um, conversely, you can find um, you know, um, one of our, our clients has a really interesting um, um, you know, company, Zipcar, um, they I, look, I used them last weekend. Yeah, yeah, impressed. They look for for new businesses that start up eight eight hundred meters away from um, a, a, a particular um, uh, a, a particular sort of um, parking spot. There are a huge number. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, everything from non, you know, um, and NGOs and and um, uh, uh, nonprofits looking to. Um, look at their donor list and reconcile it against um, you know, um, businesses and, and individuals and look for proxies of their um, net wealth uh, to um, marketers, to people who are trying to understand the risk profile of, of their portfolio. Um, it's a really, really broad range uh, of use cases and that's why we always go for we ask for what's the problem because um, data has so many financial data has so many opportunities to, to help with that. Yeah, I was thinking like credit scores, and that's like right. that's like you know iteration one, right? And then there's like so many. I wasn't even thinking that you could you know search by you know company geograph, you know money raised, this kind of thing. I'm already thinking how I can use it for this business. Yeah, I'm thinking true. sponsors. There we go. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure you're thinking coffee, right? <laughs> well, so, uh, and are you, you guys just in the UK. UK and Ireland and 20 other countries through our API. 20 other countries. Because as a small business owner, just for an example that I'm going through right now, is you know, I'm looking to buy about 1,000 machines. And I'm dealing with a, an importer from Portugal and a factory in China. And it's like, when or how far away do you think we are from making kind of some of this information global yep. and, and allowing small businesses like me to make more informed decisions? Certainly in the next five years. Yeah. Um, there's so many uh, uh, data sets that are so exciting. Um, so imports and exports, um, you get that um, globally and you understand. So, And what's, what's interesting about imports and exports is that you have a, a, a proxy for um, exposure to a currency. So it's not only useful for finding importers and exporters it's also useful for fx yeah which is your background right yeah yeah. um and um uh you know there's so many that's the thing about um uh, data there's you know something might not be useful to 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 one type of user but it can be useful to another 
and it can be really, really useful to another. Um, and um, the opportunity is really about handling the data properly and being able to traverse it um, and being able to um, really um, build ways to manipulate the data um, and extract value from it. What did Gorgon, Gordon Gecko say? The most valuable commodity I know of is information. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and like you're right, information to one person is useless, and to another it can make a huge... I'm just thinking about even the traders in the city. Sure. If they can look at private companies for trends or info or whatever, they could use that and, you know, to trade public markets. Anyways, my mind's going crazy. Yeah. I was wondering, if you could tell us about the genesis of, uh, of Do Dill. I mean, is this something that you just sat back and saw all happening four years ago and... You saw yourself on stage accepting the reward. The award. I mean, was it was it that sim- simple or linear, or has this completely changed over the last um, few years? So, I always knew that it was going to happen. Um, so, I'll, I'll I'll start from um, where I started. So, um, back in university, I flipped a lot of properties, um, and um, I made quite a good amount of money. Um, the, I went to St. Andrews in Scotland, and this was sort of uh, 2002 to 2006. And um, you had a sort of a, a three-pronged um, awesome effect, which is, um, you know, burgeoning, you know, uh, real estate prices. Um, you had the Prince William effect, so a lot of Americans um, came to, to, to the university. Um, and you had a problem, um, and you actually had two other really quite cool things, um, which was a lot of the universities um, went through this fire code regulation that you had to, um, if you had housing of multiple occupants, um, there had to be certain um, fire doors and fire safety measures. And, and, um, and then you had a, a real uh, arbitrage on the U.S. dollar to uh, pound. Um, so I bought in U.S. dollars and I sold in pounds. And so it was just a wham-bam, thank you, ma'am, of, of awesomeness. Perfect storm. <laughs> Perfect storm of, <laughs> of, uh, of, of great macro trends hitting a small town with, um, n- n- you know, nobody was competing on doing real estate. You know, if I was trying to do it in, in London... Yeah, as a student, but being a student in a small town, there wasn't a lot of competition. So um, that was really um, an, an awesome thing for me. Um, and in doing that, I realized that I could um, uh, not work for anybody. Um, and I thought, what's the big next thing? And I realized that um, you know, real estate wasn't going to happen for that much longer. Um, and... Uh, so I, I, I looked at the, the opportunities and I saw you know, one of my best friends who I wanted to go into business with um, had been roommates with Chris Hughes from Facebook, um, one of the founders of, of Facebook. Um, and um, I realized that um, you know, um, social gaming was probably going to be the next big thing. And what was bigger than poker, because poker was the biggest social game at the time, or like our view of what social gaming was, um, uh, it was online mahjong. Mahjong is Chinese gambling. It's, um, you know, uh, it's, uh, 
it's a it's a game that's totally offline, um, uh, but uh, we thought that we could port it online. Um, it's got four times the demographic of poker, and there's a huge Chinese diaspora. And while it's illegal to gamble in in mainland China, um, we thought that um, we could get the, the 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 Chinese and other countries who had been separated from families and who want to you know, game with each other. Um, and uh, so we, we um, decided to build it and we, we hadn't, um, we didn't know this, um, we didn't know how to do front-end development. Um, I wasn't a front-end engineer and uh, so we um, met this, um, this guy and he was pretty cool. Um, he, had, he had built some pretty beautiful sites, and um, uh, so we got him to to come on board. One thing led to another, and we realized that we would, you know, really be um, uh, um, uh, in trouble if we launched this. We went to Vegas for ten days, which was trouble in itself. <laughs> um, yeah. But um, we realized that either we'd be shut down or something bad would would happen to us. Okay. From the gambling industry somewhere. Yeah. From China. From China. Okay. <laughs> and, um, so, um, we said, you know, my friend Rob said that he wanted to finish his PhD. Um, I didn't really know what I wanted to do. So I said to, um, this guy who, who ran the front end agency, I said, listen, you know, um, uh, why don't we set up a company together <laughs> Um, I will um, put. I will. I, I, I will put. You know, whatever you put. I will match whatever you put into the business. He put in sixty thousand um, pounds into the company um, from Barclays loan, and it was based off of his current assets, so his house and things like that, and his management accounts. And six months went by, and things just got more and more dubious. And um, I asked my accountant, you know, can you look at these accounts? Can you see what's going on? And he said, they're totally cooked. And I said, Christ, yeah. This is your partner's accounts? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and um, I said, wow, this is really scary. Um, yeah, this is a real problem. This is a problem that an institution can't read these accounts. This is a problem that I can't read these accounts. And at university, I'd done um, an internship for two years doing risk assessment on CDSs, um, which you would probably know is, is completely hilarious doing risk assessment on you know, a, a market that's completely not tra- transparent and you can't... You, hey, yeah. I, I traded credit to false boss for nine years. Exactly. Yeah. I love those guys. Yeah. But I, <laughs> um, and it, doing risk is, is a joke on that. Like, um, it, <clears throat> and uh, I, But I realized when I had done this internship that um, pricing risk effectively was central to every B2B interaction. Um, and I realized that if Barclays couldn't do it and I couldn't do it, then a whole lot of people in between couldn't do it. Um, and that was really um, the genesis of, of Doodle. Um, and it was to simplify it. 
doodle was the the idea that it was you know it's an abbreviated due diligence right um that was the 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 original notion of the word plus it was unique and all of that um then when we launched doodle um we opened up we we got approached by um uh, uh um action aid and they said you know um can you show us do you have the 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 data on the FTSE 100 companies that have subsidiaries based in tax havens and this was 2011 um and april 2011 and so we opened this up and uh, that led to the revelations of Starbucks and Google not paying tax. It was a huge um, uh, expose of data, and we realized that if we couldn't, if I couldn't read these accounts, if Barclays couldn't read these accounts, um, and if you know politicians couldn't read these accounts, you know this was something that could really change the world. And most startups are like, yeah, we can change the world. And it's total bullshit, right? It's yeah. total and utter crap. Like, like your mahjong like, was that like I'm going to change the world? No, the it was like I'm going to make shitloads of money <laughs> and wear bling watch. Um, yeah. Did you watch the, the show Silicon Valley? I keep going back. To yeah. It. Did you watch it? Yeah. Okay. Well, there's one point where they're all pitching at the very end, and, and it's this pitch, and at the very I end, I haven't seen it. Oh, spoiler oh, alert! Right, spoiler right, alert! Right, <laughs> but every company is making the world a better place. Right. Right. So, right. Uh, yeah. You were saying um, <laughs> change the world, but. <clears throat> this could really change the world. It could, um, you know, um, presenting evidence instead of conjecture in, in politics um, could really change the world. And um, that was really exciting, but we, we realized that, you know, to do the um, work on, on the, the um, tax haven stuff, it only took, you know, two or three weeks worth of work. Um, so you guys but, did the numbers on Starbucks and Google and found yeah. So if that? you go, so we were really scared at the time. But if you <laughs> if you search ActionAid Doodle, okay, um, you can see that all of the data is attributable back to us. So you guys, wow. Um, and, but and they wrote an article about how they found all of the data. But we were a real young startup, and we were like, ah, let's see, one hundred companies. These are hopefully going to be our clients, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, and so we weren't sure if we wanted to take real credit for it, so, but we just wanted to be acknowledged because we knew that it would be transformative. But we realized that if we really wanted to be transformative, we really had to build the infrastructure. Um, and so most of our work has been on building infrastructure, on the stuff that you don't see. Um, very recently... Um, we've started to productize and started to um, show some of the things that we can do with that infrastructure and realize some problems that we made with the infrastructure. It's not all like perfect story, like everything goes smoothly. And, you know, um, but um, I think that the most exciting stuff is, has yet to come. Um, and this is really, you know, it's, it's really the tip of the iceberg. There's so much data. It's such a fallacy to say, you know, um, that businesses won't share this data. You know, 
I think you said before, um, there's a difference between um, opening up information and exposing it and sharing it. And there are different, there are different, you know, privacy concerns um, for different data sets, right? Some data you want to share, right? With a few, you share secrets, right? You don't share them publicly. Um, and so I think um, a lot of people don't understand about Doodle is that we're not about exposing everything. Um, we're about <clears throat> if there's data that's um, public, we'll make it easy to, to access, right? Because that's public data. If it's private, we will certainly abide by those rules, if not you know, trying to help users to, to make that private. Because I think it's, it's about choice. Some things are out of your choice, and that's what should be in the public domain. And when the public domain says this shouldn't be public anymore, then we should abide by those rules. Um, and that's sort of my view on, on data. But businesses will share. And you're starting to see it. If, if users will share, you know, um, if, if people will share what they had for breakfast, yeah, on Twitter, um, if people will share their CVs, um, and that was really personal before, right? Um, but it helps them. Um, are you seeing attitudes in business change to where people are like, "Wow, now I see that if I share information about my financials, I can get more clients that yeah, way." Yeah, totally. Or- look at look at AngelList or look at TradeShift, right? So TradeShift is invoices, and it's a network of of invoices. And that's really cool, right? Yeah. Um, we had market invoice on here, yeah. so yeah. Like a similar model. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's fascinating how that can open up capital immediately. Yeah. Right. And then look at AngelList where you share a huge amount of stuff, but you allow access to certain investors to see it. Right? Um, that totally is transforming venture capital. And now it's really super scary for some VCs. Um, because it, 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 it's, it's hurting their, their model. Um, sure, access to their, they kind of controlled the funnel and they had access to the information. Yeah. And now it's. Let's, yeah, um, let's talk about the US because it's obviously always the big old elephant and like everyone's business model sooner or later has to address what's happening there. Does it? Uh, I don't know. And then that's why I'm going to ask you this. I and mean, we had Market Invoice on and mm. he's like, look, we got plenty to do here in the UK. We got, you know, a huge receivable market. You know, our model's based on Company House, which I know your original one was. So yeah, how does the US play in? Is it a completely different business over there as far as getting information? And do you care? And you're, so, I don't say that because I'm American. You're yeah, American too. <laughs> I'm American. Uh, our CEO is American. Um, there's a reason why we're in Europe. Um, you know, um, I'd love to be in America. I'd love, like, for, you know, maybe it's a little vanity, but it's like, it's my, my home, and I'd love to uh, have a business that's recognized in America. But to be honest, that's just ego. Um, there is a huge, huge opportunity in Europe. Um, if you look at those figures again, there's a 250 billion euro shortfall in SME lending. There's a 450 billion euro misallocation of finance to private companies. There's something like 97 billion in uh, unpaid um, uh, um, trade credit. You know, just in the UK, 97 billion. Jeez. Right? I'm, you know, like. 
it would be a suck. You know, you'd be a sucker to to just want to go into the U.S. It's for for vanity's sake, right? Um, and um, there's uh, it's it's not as simple as that because um, in order to really understand companies, you have to understand beneficial ownership. And but you know a lot of companies are owned by American companies and and to trace that beneficial ownership, but um, that's not the only way. Um, and uh, I think it's a you know the problem with the the UK tech scene is that it doesn't have balls, right? It doesn't have the balls that Americans have, where they will put money down on. God knows what, and be like, this is going to change the world, right? Right. Um, is, that, know, is that called risk appetite? What is that? Yeah, it's it's <laughs> it's risk appetite. Big balls. But we've heard that before, cultural. though. Like we've definitely heard that before. So, and what's your point about that? Well, that's the reason why everybody thinks that they need to go to the U.S. Okay. Because that's where the balls are, or that's yeah. where the market is. Well, that's where the capital is right. with the balls. <laughs> that's where the balls okay. are. Follow okay. the balls. <laughs> I didn't know that that's what people were thinking when they're saying that. Is that the implicit thing there? I always thought people were thinking that's where the market was, and if you don't own that market, someone else will, and then they'll come over to the UK and swallow you up. Look, every single place has a huge market. You think the U.S. is the only one that's making money? There are going to be more billionaires in Europe than in the U.S. In the next, there was a a, a thing. I th- I don't forget who, but by 2025, there are more um, uh, billionaires in, in Europe than in the U.S. There's a market for, if there's a market for Spanx that, uh, that's multi-billion, you know, the, the pull-up yeah. women's underwear, there is a market for everything. And people often look at markets in the wrong way. You know, um, if you were to ask somebody, what's the market of portable music um, when the Walkman was around. They'd be like, oh, that's about $200 million a year, you know, steady, steady earner. And then comes the iPod, right? And, you know, what's the search market? You know, what's, what's the, 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 um, you know, the, the size of the search market uh, pre-Google? Uh, it's about a hundred million, right? You know, it's just ridiculous thinking of markets. Think of problems. Think of like how does this problem? How many people does this problem affect? And is it the entry point of that problem? Right, <clears throat> and that to me is the real way to look at a market, not to look at it in. You know the the market cap of, you know current, you know bad you know providers of a service. Is there? But if those numbers you talk about for the UK, there must be twenty times that in the US. Is there someone doing that in the US? If there is a market for that business there, right? So, um, one of the other reasons why um, uh, the US is really difficult for fintech is um, there are fifty different states. Right. Um, there, um, so data's all over the place, um, banking systems all over the place. Uh, you don't have anything streamlined. Um, you um, have a, a a cultural problem with um, that the idea of of 
businesses should be private and it's for privacy's sake. Um, but, um, you know, every single one of those business, it's crazy because if you look at West Coast VCs, a, a, a lot of them are really ignorant because their whole premise is based on the fact that, you know, the more you share, the better off you are. You know, this um, this right. Rousseau thing. And then they're like, okay, but for businesses, it, 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 there's an exception, right? <laughs> Not mathematically, There's there's that, that's the law, mathematically, but... For businesses, no. Right. And they don't really like see the, the, the hypocrisy. Um, and, um, you know, I would like, you know, uh, easy wins. Europe is an easy win. It's got great banking systems. You're, we're in the financial capital of the world in London. You know, it's fucking expensive in London, but, um, you know, we're right next to some of the best um, universities. We um, have great visa policies where we can uh, get anybody from, from Europe or the, the U.S. And you start to see, you know, we've started to see a lot of candidates um, from Eastern Europe um, uh, and from the U.S. being like, you know, we want to come to... So Eastern Europe, European candidates who've emigrated to the U.S. being like, we want to come back and they want to come back to, to, to London. I think that's pretty pretty awesome. Okay. So no plans immediately to go to the U.S.? I don't... I, I just... It's not... It's not... Um, it's something that we're always reevaluating and something that we're always um, looking at. But um, there's a huge opportunity in Europe. I find that refreshing, man. Everyone yeah. always seems to be like... Like, no, but I, I th- they can't get. They they yeah. want to get there now, you know. So, but I, you know, I think what you say, uh, people all they just see, you know, three hundred and fifty million people, right? And that's oh, it's a bigger market, so let's go over there. But I love, you know, the way you look at it, and that market size is is this moving target, and it's just because it's existent now today with the existing players is this size doesn't mean, you know, you can't find new markets and new opportunities and find the person that would never have a Walkman. And, you know, now has, a, has an iPad every time they leave the house. So. The, the, the real big thing is literally the balls. Um, uh, Europe has so many things going for it. <clears throat> for fintech, you know, it has distressed economies like um, uh, Spain, where, um, you know, it, the um, average um, number of days to get paid is 100 days. That's a huge opportunity, right, for somebody like Market Invoice. That's a that's an awesome, you know, invoice discount opportunity. Then you have you know opportunities in fintech in in the UK. You have tons of uh, of opportunities and tons of different ways to to cut and slice it. Um, and in the US for fintech, you have a lot of ball aches, but you have the balls. Right. It's, you talk about those numbers for the UK. I Sorry. Can, you know, I love the ball, the ball <laughs> thing, so I'm glad that we can use that word. Uh, but you know, Silicon you, real, it's about the ball. It's about no. the ball. <laughs> but I mean, you mentioned those numbers about inefficiencies, because it's all about those inefficiencies you can exploit, right. and that's the size of the market. If you look at that in England, you can imagine what they are in a, company, in a country like Spain or right. Italy, where I just, it, maybe I'm wrong, but I just see like a place where there could be these massive inefficiencies that have been like that for a long time and will stay that way uh, for a lot of different reasons. But I'm speculating. What do you do with twenty million dollars? You try not to 
flush it down the toilet. Did you, um, you ever think it's too much? I raised too much? No, it's okay. too little. <laughs> okay. <laughs> London's <What>? fucking expensive, <laughs> right? London's fucking expensive. That's in dollars. Yeah. yeah, that's true. Um, so, um, you, you know, uh, I, 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 I do think um, that it's too little, but it's... Um, it's it's uh, it's the right amount for right now, so it's not the be all and end all, um, uh, but it's enough for us not to screw it up. Okay, well said. You, you seem like you have a really cool company culture. I mean, I saw some videos about your company, and it just seems like everybody wants to be there and work there. And obviously, you guys got lots of awards and stuff. How do you keep that? We culture? pay them a lot. Yeah, I know, whatever you're doing. <laughs> how, many, right. how many employees? Yeah. What? How many employees? Uh, Thirty-seven. Okay. What's the What's the culture like? That is that defined by you? Is that something you, you thought about it? A lot. You don't pay a lot. <laughs> um, you got to pay for some awards for us, by the way. But uh, so there's there, there's nothing behind that. It just happened organically. Um, I think we, um, you know, we try and do. This is going to sound hypocritical to some people that. Um, know me well so I'm going to caveat it just by (laughs) we try and do things in moderation (laughs) Um, so in terms of salary we try and you know um, give a fair wage fair options fair um, we really try and be equitable Um, we have a culture that I think is very um, Buddhist in, in the sense that um, it's um, you know there aren't that many rules. Um, the only rule is to use your your head and to not do stupid shit. Um, but and that's more on like things that you know will be bad, right? You don't steal. <laughs> yeah, those kind of rules. The the, the fundamentals. Um, what we try and do in the company is we try and hire um, people who are super proactive and who have a a really great attention to detail um, and give them uh, the flexibility and reduce the barriers um, for them to be productive. Um, And I see my job as not motivating but reducing the things that impede motivation and allow them to be so, because people are always self-motivated, right? Good people are. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, but they hate bullshit. And so if you remove the bullshit, um, and you don't allow bullshit to, to happen and you, you have to be able to, to clamp down when bullshit happens, but, if you reduce that and you've you've hired great people, um, then it's a fun place to to work because you know a fun place is not a, a place where you just get to dick around. A fun place is where you are really energized about what you're doing and you get to dick around. Right? Right. And you get cool stuff done. Yeah. yeah. Right. And so you feel positive at the end of the day about doing the stuff that you really love. Um, and that's what I try and 
doing the company and sometimes I get it horribly wrong. Um, but I think um, so far we've, we've gotten it um, right. How important is it to have a face on a company? You know, we know with Facebook, it's Zuckerberg and with, with Apple, it was jobs. And, you know, I'm putting you in good company, you know, for, for due deal, it's definitely Damien and, you know, you're out there and, you know, you know, the award went to you and, and I know there's a great company behind you, but is it important for it to have a, a pretty outspoken person or a pretty high profile person these days? So, uh, I think yes. Um, but I don't think that that's my main job or goal. Um, I think that there's, my main goal is not to run out of money um, and to hire the best people to, um, you know, and, and retain the best people to, to achieve the goal. Of the company. I, I was reading an article actually just recently on that about the number of CEOs that have Twitter and are like have a, have a social presence. Right. And it's if you take the top, I think it was the top 500 companies in the U.S. It public was, or private? Now we got to talk. Yeah, I think it was. I think it was public because okay. they were talking about how Elon Musk has a really public profile and how he can tackle things instantly. Right. So when the New York Times writes a shitty article that's bullshit yep. about Tesla, he's on it that day writing a blog and tweeting about it and quashing it instantly right and so few ceos uh actually have that public profile and they were saying it's um they did some data and it was you know hugely beneficial to have that that public profile um, yep. so you and the public trusts the company more as well they were saying so totally yeah, yeah. Uh, i think um there's a reason why all of these satires are coming out about silicon yeah silicon valley and stuff um, and it's because, you know, it's a thing now and they're going to be, yeah, um, even more, right? Yeah. It's just getting started, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, and that's kind of validation that it's the next big thing. I don't see it as a, a sign of that it's peaking. I actually think that it's a validation that it's a thing, that it's actually stable. I don't know of any satires about bankers. Well, there were movies in the 80s and 90s, but right. yeah, lately, no. Well, no. It's, it's Wolf of Wall Street, which is about a guy in, yeah. the, 80s. in the 80s. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No. So, um, totally. An article so, written I, about that recently, yeah. Was it? Yeah, about how these things used to be satirical and how it's Silicon Valley, and it's yeah. for a good reason, right? right? Yeah. I didn't know that. That's awesome. Yeah. I was just... yeah. making that observation yeah well you talked about the lack of balls you know we always comes up at the end of this show whether we're talking about where does london stack with the rest of the world okay we naturally look across the atlantic a little bit and maybe we should silicon valley's been around for 50 years 70 years if you go back to semiconductors but what do we need to do different here you know you said everyone's looking to the west for balls i mean do we need to find some here do we need to throw our capital around more here i mean you're here doing it but what, what the culture has to change, right? Or we're not going to get the acceleration. We're not going to get the Silicon the Valley. The culture show. is changing. Yeah. And some of the East Coast VCs are starting to come to, 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 to London. Like yours. And yeah, but also, you know, they're actually starting to be like, well, you know, actually, it's not just um, Tel Aviv, <laughs> which is crazy. Like, let's put offices in London. And That's before they were going straight to Tel Aviv. Yeah. Okay. And um which is which is weird if you look at the number of, of billion dollar companies um uh out of uh, out of the out of London and out of like general Europe. Um 
I haven't done any of the, the, the real numbers, so don't quote me, but I think that that's, uh, you know, it, it's tremendously myopic. Um, what I think we have to do is encourage that um, comp- competition, one. So encourage the competition and venture a scene. And then two, um, I think that European companies have to really look at the opportunities in Europe itself and not build companies that should be built in the U.S. The U.S. has a great opportunity that they've milked uh, tremendously, and that is 350 million people all the same language. Yeah. Um, which is English. Um, uh, so, you know, that, uh, who are all connected, right? Um, Europe has a huge amount of opportunities. I think that um, uh, fashion is an opportunity, actually. I think um, uh, um, uh, aeronautics is an opportunity in, in London. Um, I think um, actual, yeah, um, yeah, m- making things. But I think the biggest opportunity certainly is fintech um, because it's the best test bed for fintech. Um, you are in between the two largest um, uh, um, uh, yeah, powers being in GMT in between China and the U.S., and that's just um, awesome. Yeah. Um, and if you start to address some of the problems um, that the world's facing, uh, I, I think that that's really quite cool. What's your biggest challenge in the next two years? Is it, is it hiring, finding the talent, or staying focused? Or... Yeah. Both. Yeah, yeah. You actually, like, I should be a CEO. <laughs> uh, and is is you wrote an article at the Huffington Post recently about immigration? Is is talent hard to find for you? I would say for certain positions, yes. Um, and um, uh, I think you'd always be deluded if it's you think it's easy, but um, because it's not, you're probably hiring the wrong people if you say it's easy. But do I think it's a lot easier than in the U.S.? Um, in a lot of ways, yes, because um, the U.S. is fortunate that they have <clears throat> um, 350 million people to choose from. Um, so they have a huge candidate pool, but their visa policies suck. Right? Yeah. Getting people from abroad just sucks. Yeah. Um, and we live in a global economy, and there are smart people in yeah, Africa, there's smart people in Asia, there's smart people in Europe, there's billion dollar opportunities in Africa, there are billion dollar opportunities in, in Asia, there are billion dollar opportunities in Europe. And quite frankly, you know, I sort of like the way that the Chinese do business um, in the sense that you know, they've gone into to, to Africa. I don't I, I want to caveat that by I don't like what they're doing in Africa, but I like the fact that you know they're willing to go into Africa because there's huge opportunity, and they say to these governments, and it's pretty cheeky. They say, 
oh, we'll build the infrastructure if you let us excavate you know, this, but you need the infrastructure in order to excavate right. it. So, <clears throat> um, there, you know, that's awesome. And um, they look at places and they look for where other people are too scared or too worried about the opportunity and they have rich pickings. Um, and um, this um, xenophobic sort of um, American idea that the U.S. is the only place um, where there's opportunity is totally short-sighted um, and, uh, frankly, idiotic. I love it. I'm so glad you said that. Uh, you know, we always finish up with a few questions. They might be a little personal, but I'm going to hit you with them. Uh, if you could make a phone call to the 20-year-old uh, Damien Kimmelman and give that young man a bit of advice, what would you tell him to do? Not to go to university. Really? Yeah. Didn't did, nothing. Practical. I loved university, right? And I right. loved. You made uh, a lot of money in real estate. Yeah, university. and I. But um, you met your co-founder that screwed you over. Yeah, and, and, and to, ever, to start but, the business. But any yeah. like your life evolves in so many different. If I didn't go to university, I wouldn't have met my girlfriend now, right. and like I wouldn't have been in Canada last. Right. Yeah, you know, last week. Um, uh, so, uh, yeah. I'd, but I wouldn't have gone to university. No value there, really. Not not worth the time. It's not that there's no value. It's that there's there's no value to what I want to do. Okay. Um, and I stupidly um, didn't do an internship um, at a at a startup. So a lot of the problems. I've had to experience myself. And that could arguably be said, well, you know, isn't that better because you've rewritten what you you want? And I don't really buy into that. I really, you know, the reason why, look at Elon Musk or, you know, all of the PayPal mafia, that's like, that's awesome. And the reason why they did so well, was, I think, was because they were all in a great company at the time that you know, grew tremendously during a short period of time and they saw what worked and they were able to use those insights in other companies. You have the Peter Thiels, you have, um, you know, Elon Musk, um, you know, why am I, um, uh, you have, uh, uh, um, the YouTube guy too, right? Yep. Um, Brad Hurley. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, and, um, you also have, um, uh, um, Christ um, from LinkedIn. I um, can't believe I'm. I forgot fun, his name. Fun, fun his name. The LinkedIn yeah. guy. Yeah. <laughs> so you you wish you would have started earlier, is what you're saying? Yes. Okay. So Tell rather me. than perhaps go to university, spend four years working for startups and learning. Yeah. And and learning that way. And now I would say for people that are going to thinking of going into university, you know, either you know, <clears throat> look ten years ahead. And what do you see? You know, you see a huge amount of opportunity in the Internet of Things. Um, you see a huge amount of opportunity in biotech. Yeah. Um, and, um, you know, this is all, you know, information seeping out into other parts of, of, of the world. Right. And um, I think that that's what you'd want to try and work on. 
Good. Uh, second part of that question, best advice you've ever received, business or personal? should probably have a canned answer for... for it's always for a tough question. <laughs> it is, Everyone's yeah. always like, damn. What about business? Um, uh, I think... Um, um, you know, I'm, I'm a big fan of Ben Horowitz and Mark Andreessen. And they say something um, that I really object to and it's one of the only things that I object to um, and they're like um, yeah this whole thing about startups and failing we don't like failures we like winners like don't fail and I see what they're talking about but I think that um, you know um, really refining how you fail um and 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 optimizing so that you so failures don't cost a lot should be the message um, because it's it's fine in like and say so we like winners and everybody likes to win right um, and it's wrong saying that you know failures all right failures not all right but it's both of those messages miss. The, the mark, which is learn how to minimize the cost of failing, of trying something out. The whole point of the internet is that you can try things out. And, and the, the whole point of a startup is that you can test assumptions. Um, and, uh, you know, I was really, when I first started out, I was really um, uh, shy about... Um, uh, failing and failing publicly and um, you know and asking for help um, and I think that's the worst thing that you can do look like an idiot I look like an idiot all the time <laughs> like, <laughs> you do? You yeah, do? Yeah. yeah yeah loads um, ask my butcher uh, you know the first time that I, I pitched doodle I was sweating I was nervous I was stuttering I couldn't like I, I couldn't keep my eyes open because I was so like nervous. It was just in front of like twenty people, um, and it doesn't it doesn't matter. Um, you, uh, I, I hate public speaking. Um, it's something that I try and get over, um, and try and do a lot to get over. Um, but it's uh, you know it, it doesn't come easily. Damien, thanks so much for coming by. This is a great story. It's really compelling, this story. Nice, I, really, yeah. I want to see how this movie ends. Yeah. You know, or at least see... I don't want it to end. <laughs> yeah, see, see at least Rocky 2, maybe 3 or 4 or something like that. bling, bling watch. Um, how can people get a hold of you? Are you guys hiring? What's the whole yeah. story there? So we are hiring um, uh, a huge amount now. Uh, we've only hired three people since Series A, Series B, um, uh, largely because we wanted to make sure that we could scale. Um, now we're hiring um, a lot. We have actually, I think, 17 or 18 positions open. Um, wow. So that's very different. Yeah. Um, but um, uh, you know, you can reach me on Doodler um, uh, on Twitter. Which is do dill er. Yeah. Okay. Do dill. I tried to do the dude, uh, and it was taken. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, which was pretty lame, but. 
Of course, the dude would be taken, right? Yeah. So, no, but it was D U E D. Okay, gotcha. All right, so at do deal with an R on the end for you, at do deal for the, the company, and then yep. go to your website as well yep. for jobs and things like that. Yeah. 17, 18 jobs, man. I mean, jeez. Says the, yeah. If you're not. We're in a tough economy, right? Come on, yeah. guys, if you're unemployed out there. Seriously. If you're not yeah, currently yeah. right now, I don't know what's wrong with you. Um, uh, fantastic talking to you. Um, it's exciting to see what you guys are going to do, and to have the possibilities are really limitless with this information. I, I, I haven't even began to uh, started to get my head around some of the things that he can do you know i want to get an account actually yeah. i'm sure you do too now yeah, right absolutely yeah a lot of good info well, out there um if you're listening to us on itunes um, you can catch us uh, our beautiful faces on uh, youtube channel and uh, if you're uh, listening to us live thanks for watching uh, as we say it's about the people on silicon real um thanks so much damien and all the best you. to you guys thank Cheers. you awesome all right guys take care We're trying to help um, organizations kind of cut through the fog and get to the bits that matter to their business. There's a pattern of, of kind of language that people use when they're, when they're in a certain place, when they have a, a specific intent. You construct a, a query which, which takes those little segments of, converse, of, of kind of, of you know, patterns of, of words and you, you build this thing and, and you, you basically throw that at the entire data set. I look back and think, Jesus, it took us a long time to get where we got to, but, but I can go back over every year and think, oh yeah, I know why that took so long, it was a challenge.